Welcome to Enemies from War to Wisdom. Why do we need enemies? From intimate relationships to politics, tribalism, and community, we cannot seem to stop dehumanizing each other. Chronic conflicts in our families, societies, and nations seem inevitable. In this podcast, we analyze human hostilities from the most mundane to the most sophisticated. We apply psychology, psychoanalysis, art, spirituality, and relational theory in conversation about belonging and otherness. Each program will reach for a fresh wisdom that shows us how to step back from creating enemies in our lives. I'm your host, Eleanor Johnson, a videographer and artist with Emma Troop, an experimental theater group in New York City, and I am here with my co-host, Polly Young Eisendratt, who is a psychologist, Jungian analyst, author, and speaker. We approach our ideas each from our own worlds, but always from the spirit and teaching of Buddhism, of which we are lifelong practitioners. Speaking for yourself, lowering emotional threat through owning your subjectivity, Do you sometimes feel like you want to run out of the room or just scream when you have repeatedly said the same thing clearly and slowly to someone you want to influence and they just don't get your meaning? What prevents another person from hearing what you have to say? Can you influence the situation, or is the problem always and only the listener? Hi, Eleanor. So, <laughs> it feels like a very long time since we talked together, but this feels such an important topic for us to be discussing today. And I know that you've said to me many times, too, and, and this may unfold as we talk together, how your work with Real Dialogue differs from a lot of the conflict resolution that's out there that's very popular and that people know. But I thought that one of the things that would be really important to begin would be for you to talk a little bit about how you see subjectivity. Yeah. I mean, most of our listeners will know subjectivity, but again, you know, sometimes it's nice to remember to re uh, <laughs> yeah and so yeah it's not a common word right people right. don't go around saying oh that's my subjectivity right, right, <laughs> right. so it is a word that I, like you know like some of the words we've used like projective identification <laughs> or sometimes even the term psychological complex it's a word that's abstract and it it really means this sort of let's say world this globe that you exist in So as you're walking around, you see, you hear, you feel things, you smell things, you taste things. All of this is going on in a way that's individual to you. An interior. Not an interior, Uh because the inside and the Uh outside are are both subjective. Like the way you hear the bird. Yes, that's true. Or the way you taste the food. Or the way the chair feels to your back. That's subjective. See, it was important that I asked you this. It's very important, (laughs) and I think it's very confusing to people. Right, right, right. Because most of us believe that we see the same tree. Right. Or that the chair would feel the same to you or to me, or that the food tastes the same. And so this subjectivity thing is one of the big problems for humans, especially when they disagree, because they assume they're talking about something that exists outside of their subjectivity. Right, right, right. Like something like the moon. Right. Or, you know, the smell of the flower. Right. None of these things are apart from the way we experience them. We can't get out of this kind of snow globe. We'll talk about it as a snow globe, but you can think of it as a bubble. It's It's the sense that you have that there's something around you and everywhere you go, you can never get away from or outside of that aroundness, unless I suppose you are in some kind of enlightened state where your aroundness becomes bigger, right. you know, as big as the universe or right. something. But well, most it, it, of the time, it's it's small, and you can sense the edges of it. Well, it does seem like a, a really uh, extraordinary awareness to realize that uh, the other person doesn't perceive things exactly the way that you do or maybe I mean, sometimes even close, we just you know, yeah we, we, we forget that we forget we, yeah. we just think there's an agreement there when there isn't so that developing that kind of sensitivity is is a, an extraordinary tool i i know from working with people in psychotherapy but especially from working with, with couples yeah right. in and people that are in a state of emotional agitation because there's the sense that 
you don't get me. I've told you many times, but you don't get it. Well, what have you told me and what am I trying to get? It's not obvious. It's not obvious to anyone because even if somebody says to someone they know well, here's the way I feel about this concert or here is the pain that you've caused me by saying this or that or here is the way I remember our time together last week. There can be so much that seems so wrong to the other person, the person who's listening, because that other person, if they've been along for that experience, or even if they're trying to understand it, they have a different sense of what all that means. And we humans have language, and language is really pretty complicated for us because it belongs to a culture. We learn it through our families. And so that's what we have to share our world. And when we say something like tree or foot or pain or, you know, any of our feelings, we assume the other person is getting some kind of meaning from that. And do you find too that, that, you know, it becomes really, really tricky when you have emotional threat, when the other is not feeling safe. So you have the flight or fight, you know, syndrome and people mm-hmm. want to, you know, shut down or get defensive or all the various different responses that happen when one's under emotional threat. And so, I mean, a lot of what I found when I was kind of doing the research around, um, you know, real dialogue and also our dialogues is just that, you know, helping people to feel safe. Well, emotional threat makes it worse. Right, right. There's not... um, When you're triggered, you know, yeah. That makes it worse. But let's say, you know, even if things are very calm and you're having a nice day at the beach. Right. And you say, oh, taste this soda. I love the way this tastes. And the other person makes a funny face and goes like, ugh. That can throw you right away because you're going to feel a little rejected even though the taste buds are different and people have different preferences but the human wants to share and the human wants to be reflected wants to be witnessed and wants to be witnessed accurately for you know feeling me seeing me hearing me so even without the threat these differences throw people off and they they might feel quickly rejected, dismissed, diminished, even humiliated if you offer something, say, you know, you've worked pretty hard on a particular drawing or a poem and you offer it to your friend and your friend makes a funny face. You know, even in that situation, you can feel really thrown and you probably are going to feel rejected. You're going to feel dismissed. You're going to feel one of these self-protective feelings that we feel quickly as humans because in a group or with another person, we we naturally protect our, ourselves and we promote what it is that we like or that we want or that we're noticing. So you can see even without the threat, even without the conflict, Right. Just that desire to share right. your experience right. is hard for right. humans. Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, and it, it, this is we're talking about developing skills so that when we, 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 we find ourselves in reactivity, we can find ways to stabilize. It's a challenge. I mean, I think of all the years of my own practice, and I still get so plugged in, but I'm, I'm better at being able to let go mm-hmm. and not have expectations to kind of take my hands off quickly. Even if I go into silence and I, I don't run a story about I'm being conflict avoidance or this or that, you know, but mm-hmm. just to, you know, have that, that beginning stage of an awareness, like I'm not going to engage. As we're talking today, I think for our audience, it'll be wonderful for us to be able to share skills. Mm-hmm. And speaking for yourself is one wonderful way to start practicing. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful tool. We will talk about the exact parameters of what it means to speak for yourself, but just to get that framework that we don't share a world in common. Right. And so, you know, if, for example, you want to persuade somebody, 
that the way you're seeing something, the way, like, look, let's look at what's going on right now in the war in right. the Ukraine. Right. And people have different perspectives. The Russians have a perspective. Americans have perspective. We probably, if we were talking together with a group of people, we would naturally try to persuade them of our own perspective. That's a human nature thing. It's not just that only certain people, you know, that there's some, let's say, Rinpoche, who doesn't want to persuade someone. No, we're all persuading. We're all trying to bring others to see what we consider to be valuable or the truth. And once we start into doing that, we are going to offer a perspective, a point of view, a way of seeing something that the other person may not only disagree with, but be offended by. Mm. And then we feel personally hurt by that, or at least thrown by it. And so what do we do then? And right. we'll talk yeah. about that in yeah. a minute. But yeah. Yeah. the So really here, we're talking about the skill of the way we present something, the way we speak to someone else. So in speaking for yourself... You're trying to set out a perspective that is more than just an I statement. Right. But there does have to be an I statement. There can't be a we statement or a you statement. It won't be speaking for yourself. And what's the reason why the I statement is so important is that if you speak subjectively, like this is the way I remember it, or when I taste it, it tastes like this to me, or I have the impression, or when I read the data, this is what I take away from it. If you say it that way, the other person cannot argue with you. So if you say, well, this is just my opinion. Well, if you say just my opinion, already you've Uh made a sort Uh of a statement of Uh reducing it. Uh But if you were really speaking for yourself, you would say, You know, here's the way I see it. Uh I see the blah, blah. How about you? How do you Uh see it? Uh So that you're you're aware that the other person is not seeing it the way you see it. And so, yes, you can say, in my opinion, here's the way I remember it. And you can say anything that's very strong, like, I like it. I hate it. I don't want to do it again. Those are all subjective statements. The other person can't say you're wrong about that. If you say, I never want to go to Michigan again, that's different from saying, Michigan is a terrible place to go. If you right, say, Michigan right. is a terrible place to go, then you start to fight with someone about Michigan. So very often, people get off of the subject that they're wanting to speak about right. because they speak in a way that sounds objective or on the other hand, this misinterpretation. Well, yeah, it's yeah. it's not even that. I mean, it's you know, if you start to make claims about the truth, someone else will have a different experience, and they'll want to argue about that. So very often, people get into what they think is an ordinary mm-hmm. discussion, like about let's say plans that they're making, mm-hmm. and they begin to talk about the plans, and somebody says, "No, you're wrong." The park isn't at the end of the road. You know, it's over here. So then they're, they're arguing about where the park is instead of continuing to make their plans. It's, a, it's, a, it's exciting to think that the willingness is there to kind of go through the troubled spots to find out your own kind of subjectivity in the dialogue. That to start hearing yourself, what you're saying in terms of, you know, you're not aware that you're, you know, making a judgment about Michigan. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. the other person, rea- you know, so to be engaged in that kind of uh, back and forth together, that willingness to discover. You know, except that many people are very willing but not very able. I know, exactly. Because exactly. when you get into particularly something you care about, yes, but exactly. also if you're in conflict, yes. It's very easy to try to persuade and to protect yourself. the other person that your way mm-hmm. is superior mm-hmm. or your point of view right. has more value. And usually the way we do this is something that we call rhetoric, which is that we present something. And here I will, I will shift into talking about an I statement myself. So, you know, as I work with people in therapy or I facilitate difficult conversations, I notice 
that when people are in conflict, what they tend to do is they will persuade the other person of their own rightness. And often what I hear is this type of statement. Shouldn't we be kind to each other here? Isn't it better if we were more mindful? Shouldn't we proceed in a slower way? And all of those statements will evoke from the other person a certain degree of threat. Like, I don't know if we should be kind. What do you mean we should be kind? And if instead you say, I prefer to be kind, or I would like to go in this direction, the other person then isn't included in your statement. And the other person doesn't have to say, well, do I approve of what you're saying about me? So leaving out the we statements and leaving out the you statements, and the you statements are where the cancel culture goes, you know, right. you're this kind of person, right. you know, you always, right. you never, and then into even more complex accusations like, like you, you meant know, this. Yeah, or you're a narcissist, or, you know, what happens is people try to sneak that in under an I statement, like, I feel manipulated by you, instead of saying, I'm frustrated right now, and I don't know how to go further in the conversation. So these I statements have to be formulated in a way that's modest, like, this is the way I see it. They can be very strong, like, you know, I hate Michigan. I hate oh. this or that. No, they can be very strong because right, right. they're subjective. They're yeah. not saying Michigan is bad. Right. You know, they're right. saying this is my own approach to this topic, to this place, to this taste, to the smell. This is just me. This is what I like, what I don't like. But then there should be room for how about you? Right. Because I'm right. not speaking for you. Right, right, right. And to be willing to hear the other's uh, differing point of view. Well, even things. if, you know, even if you're a not altogether willing, you know, you at least recognize the parameters of your own subjectivity, your own snow globe. And, and that, that awareness also very, very much rests on knowing that me, I'm a one-sided person. I need other people. I need to know how others perceive this subject. So maybe I have some idea, for example, that cryptocurrency is going to be a whole new form of money. And it's an interesting form because it involves various kinds of algorithms and so on. Maybe I find that fascinating. If I say to somebody, you know, cryptocurrency is the future, that is not in any way a subjective statement. That's an objective statement. And the other person may argue with me, well, how do you know that? It doesn't have any real value in the real world, etc." If I stay instead, I find cryptocurrency to be interesting. And I would love to talk with you about it. How do you feel about it? Right. And maybe I don't really care how you feel. Right. But uh, if I know that I have a one-sided view. Right then I begin to recognize that the way that other people perceive these things will help me. Right. It, will, it will make my right. perspective more complex. So would you say that that's not engaged. taking it personally and you're not having expectations and it's just an, oh, it's more like an open field well, that you I, have you know, a curiosity about hearing the other? Yes, that you still may have a lot of personal feelings about right. it, you know, because... All the time we are feeling things right. about ourselves and about others and right. we're seeing things in a certain way. So we may take it personally. Right. But we but don't if, project it out. But if we practice it, yeah. then we're more likely to have a good effect if we begin with a subjective statement. You know, I like this. I don't like this. I remember it this way. I remember that you said this. Uh-huh. How do you remember right. it? It just creates this environment right. in which you're modest. Right. It's well, not saying true. this yes. is the way this is, yes. but this is the way I remember yes. it. And even when it comes to data, and this is where people get very confused about data, because people think if they read some data, that's the truth. Exactly. But 
always, whatever we're reading, even, even you know, two and two equals four, that's an interpretation of something. It's not a thing in itself. It's the way I'm understanding those numbers or that data. That's the way I'm understanding it. I am sure that for most data and anything past the, the clearest computational stuff with arithmetic, people interpret it differently. And so even if you have data, if you have all sorts of points of reference, what you're going to do as a human is you're going to try to persuade somebody else that this is the truth. And that's the way you're hardwired. Our more or less what you could call logic or our reasoning is designed for persuasion. It is not designed to reveal truth. That's why we need each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as soon as you have a statement like, I think cryptocurrency is the future, you will tend to have reasons to persuade other people about why that's the case. But if you recognize that your reasons are subjective, your perspective is subjective, you're always making interpretations, you never remember things accurately. None of us do. Well, that's true. That's you know, true. Our memories are very flawed. Right. Moment to moment, we're about 99% unconscious. That's we, true. we say things and do things. Yes. We don't know what well, we're that, doing. That, I was thinking of that in terms yeah. of when, when we're totally unconscious. But I mean, I, I, I see the, the psychological structure here. But I also realize that there's the, the mindfulness plays a real role in this awakening. Mind, it really, yeah. it really does because it's a deeper, wider dimension. Well, mindfulness is what gives you the awareness uh, of your awareness, right? And so, as you're listening to yourself talk, right. you can then begin to be aware of what's going on. And within the Real Dialogue framework, we teach a certain meditation, which is called the snow globe of right. subjectivity. Right. And I'll describe these domains, which everyone has. So right. this is right. not exclusive right. to any group yeah. of people, any culture, yeah. any anything. I think the snow globe is a wonderful metaphor image to, you know, containment in terms of our reality. I mean, that we are enclosed in that way. Yeah, we're limited. We are. We're all limited yeah. by what we hear, yeah. what we yeah. see, what we feel. And the, um, the idea of the snow globe comes from Shinzen Young's teaching. Well, you know, in traditional Buddhism, it would be called the skandhas. Uh -huh. And the skandhas are these kinds of bundles of experience that are separated up so we can look at this experience and that experience. And the way Shinzen Young has separated it, he's separated up our entire world into six domains uh -huh. that are pretty easy to see and hear and feel. It's like a map that is one of the easiest maps. Uh -huh. If you go by the traditional Buddhist teachings on the skandhas, it's a little hard to separate those up, and I'm not going to go into them right, right now. Right. But these six domains of our experience, they involve three registers, seeing, hearing, feeling, and then each one seeing out, seeing in, hearing out, hearing in, feeling out, filling in. So each one is divided to out and in. So where you and I started about subjectivity. subjectivity right. It's got the world out there and the world in here. Right. Those two are never separated. Right. That's an extraordinary point. I mean, I didn't really, that, that there's great discernment. There's a that. lot of confusion because yes. people think the in here yes, is the exact. subjective and the yes. out there is the yes. objective. Yes. And again... And you think it's solid. <laughs> well, you think it's solid because you feel it and it seems to be out there that you're right. feeling it. Right. But that's not it. No, that's not it. You're always constructing that. This gets into a lot of, let's say, cognitive science, yes. but also Buddhist teachings. Yes. But we don't need all of that today. Right, so, right. so let's just, I'll talk yeah. about the domain. So let's talk about the first one, seeing. So uh, we can put seeing or hearing first. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I, I just like the sound of see, hear, feel. Mm -hmm. You could say hear, see, feel, but see, hear, feel just as easier to say. Right, right. So, so seeing, when we see out, we see what 
appears to be the world around us. We see colors, we see forms, and we discriminate. That's a tree and that's a cloud and so on. But those are forms that we've assigned language to. So when we're actually just seeing, we see colors, we see forms, we see movement, and we seem to be in a globe because there's an edge to what we can see and we can only see so far back in that edge. We don't see behind our heads. And so that's what we call the world out there when we see out. When we see in, we're seeing what is in the mind's eye. And so for example, if you think about to yourself, what did I eat for lunch? You'll see a little picture of it in your mind's eye. Or if you are in your nighttime dreaming, you're seeing images in your dream. If you're remembering your dream, you'll see the images again in your mind's eye. So the reason why seeing in is so important when it comes to subjectivity is that the way that we see through our own mental pictures will affect the way that we see other people. Exactly. So, you know, we might look at someone and say, that person looks angry. But we're seeing through our own mental image of anger, the person may be irritated or frustrated. Perhaps, you know, they've got a sore knee or something just happened that, you know, has put them into a state of uh, some kind of irritation. But when we see through our mental picture, we'll see and make an interpretation. And that interpretation may be completely wrong. Many times we don't know we don't check in with our mind's eye. We don't know what's going on just behind our eyes, whereas often where we're seeing the mental pictures. And uh, we may be guided by mental pictures also that come from our emotional past, a certain way of, let's say, a parent responding to a child. I sometimes use the so example. So it's always you have to see the visual? It's, it's happening on a subtle level uh -huh. all the time. Uh -huh. We're, we're all, you might say, hallucinating uh -huh. in a, a subtle way uh -huh. all the time. In other words, there are pictures that are rolling through. There are images that are happening outside. But, for example, you look out at the tree and you think the wind is blowing because right. you see that the tree is moving. And that's because you have a subtle right. mind's eye right. picture right. of a tree moving and then you have words, right. the right. wind is blowing. And the same thing. That would be true also for our beliefs. Well, it's true for, I mean, so in regard to your mental uh -huh. imagery, right. it will drive a lot of your emotional meaning. Uh -huh. But just in separating them out, just to get the category, what you want right. to know is that we see out and we have a mind's eye. So we see in as well. And we know this because... We can picture things like we can picture how to get home. We can picture what happened yesterday. We can picture where we put objects. Sometimes, you know, you reach into the refrigerator with something like your keys and then you look at your hand and then you pull your hand out because you see in your mind's eye, keys don't belong in refrigerators, but you haven't had a thought. It's just been your mind's eye to take that moment. So we're always, we're always having mental images and we always have these pictures of the so-called world out there. So seeing out, seeing in, paying attention to what am I picturing in my mind's eye will give you some feeling for your emotional life, which we'll get to in a minute. So the next dimension of hearing in and hearing out, this is even more important for real dialogue than seeing. Uh -huh, um, yes. You know, because when we're hearing out, we're hearing the sounds, we're hearing what other people maybe saying or the sound of what we take to be the bird or the sound of something going on around us. We can often confuse that with hearing in, which is listening to our own self-talk. So our self-talk is sometimes making comments about ourselves, sometimes about others, sometimes it's just chirping along. Maybe there's a song that we heard recently that's that's got a little you know, like a bug in our ear, and we're listening to that song, even though we're not paying attention, attention to it. To the other, yeah. And so we're, we're also running a song, mm -hmm. same time we're listening to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to hearing what someone else is saying, when you're in conflict, or even when you feel a little rejected, 
or even when you feel a little thrown by how the person looks to you, very often you are talking to yourself right. about what's going on. Right. And the other person's talking to you, but you're hearing, you're not hearing it. Yeah. what's going yeah. on in your own right. inner ear, you might call it, because it's, yes. it's yes. really around your ears that right. you talk to yourself. And so in real dialogue, you, it takes mindfulness to allow those mental images and that mental talk to drop back so that you can look at the person and begin to hear what the person is saying. And so in this part of what we're talking about, it's about speaking for yourself. It's not about the hearing part. But the reason why speaking for yourself is important is that it creates a space in which the other person is more likely to hear you because you're lowering the threat level. If you increase the threat level by, for example, insulting somebody, then it's less likely they're going to hear you because their internal talk gets turned up. So seeing out, seeing in, hearing out, hearing in, those are four of the domains. And then the, the last two domains are feeling out, feeling in. So feeling out is body sensation. Everything from the, the feeling of your feet on the floor to your Sciatica. Your, your, your bottom in the chair to, to you know, the, the feeling of nausea, the feeling of hunger, the, the feeling of your heart beating. You can feel the physical sensations. Mm-hmm. So we're in this complex world of body sensation all the time. And that body sensation is what gives us this belief that there is a world out there and we are in here. It's the body sensation that we're constructing that makes us feel like I am inside of this body and the world is out there. And of course, when we're in a dreaming state, nighttime dreaming, rapid eye movement, sleep, that whole thing dissolves. And so we can fly through a wall or we can jump up a hundred feet in our dreams. And that's simply another way of experiencing our bodies. We don't, in waking life, typically experience our bodies in these ways that are flexible because we have a very distinct sense that I'm in here, the world is out there. However, if we're in shock or if we, you know, we're in a sudden car accident, which is shock or sometimes an altered state, we can come out of the body and we see something from a different perspective. We see something from the ceiling. We no longer feel like we're inside of the body. So this whole sense of we're in here in this body, the world is out there, it can easily be disrupted, but most of the time we habituate to it. So our physical sensations, our body sensations, create this feeling of feeling out, like we have an edge and that edge is where we are our edge is existing there. And then feeling in, using this language, is feeling the emotional centers in the body. So that would be the the gut, the stomach, the solar plexus, the throat, the head. These are the chakras and traditional teachings, but these are the ways that our emotional energies get going through these centers. And so when you're checking on your own subjective experience, you can check on the ways that your mind's eye is working in relation to your eye on the world out there. The way that works in regard to your emotional centers, your body sensations, all of these things that are in this snow So it globe. becomes a, t- a tool to open up dimensionality. Well, you want so, to just be aware yeah. that this this is your but subjective world. But to put those world. together yeah. gives right. you much more of a, a access to a holism or holographic or something that's it's far more dimensional than just being stuck in the feeling or stuck in the reactivity. Or assuming that you're just inside of the body right. and everything else is outside of right, you. Right. Or when people say something like, you know, you need to be inside and then be out. Inside and outside are mixed up. I They're know. never separated. Right. And so the ways that you feel about something when you like it or you don't like it or it seems to be red or it seems to be hot, 
this is a mix of all of this subjectivity. Well, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not just because you're inside of a body. So it's it's a confusion Freud called the ego, the body ego. I would say most of us identify ourselves with our bodies, not with these other domains like hearing in, hearing out, feeling in, feeling out. But hmm. all of these domains, all of them, that's the self. That's the subjectivity. Yes. They all go together and they're always mixed up with and each other. And they're all interconnected. They're not, yeah, they're not yeah, sorted yeah. out so we can know what the truth right, is. Right, right, We're right, always right. subjective. Yeah, We're yeah. always having these mixed up experiences. Yeah. And when we, when we want to hear and understand somebody else... It's a good idea if we're going to be in a conflicted or stressed situation, if we can begin with a subjective statement. And so beginning with an I statement or even an invitation, like if, if you're thrown by somebody's statement to you, yeah. help me understand yeah. why that's important to well, you. The, the, again, I, you know, when you say that, I think of... You know, the willingness that in that moment, the willingness to ask that question of the other, the willingness to be present. Well, it's a willingness to be modest. It's well, a willingness to not know. Right. It's like, right. help me understand right. what's going on with you instead of I know right. already. Or help what's me to going. not run away. <laughs> right. Well, you know, or be interested. Or avoid or just shut yeah. down. Help right. me to, to be well, able to meet the moment. And to have that willingness to ask you that. Well, I mean, not to protect yourself, because right. we are it's all protecting human. ourselves all the time. We're, yeah. we're protecting, promoting ourselves. That's the main thing we do when we're with others. And it's, so if you pull that back a little, yeah. it's like, help it's me profound. see what it's like to be in your snow globe, you know, instead of just stuck in my own. Right, exactly. I mean, it, exactly. It, it's in a certain sense, it it's, would the most, the world. <laughs> it's the most effective way of communicating with right. others, but we rarely do it right. because there's not much understanding of subjectivity. Exactly. So speaking for yourself right. means limiting yourself to the way that you see it, the way you remember it, the way that you're experiencing it. It's not to your own opinions. Right. It's to your own modest right. little snow globe that you don't, you're not automatically right. in any way knowing right. very much wisdom at all. You just know your own little thing, and so you're interested in others as well. But now, of course, the world doesn't go that way very often. I mean, most people want to just blow up the other snow globe. Well, it's because it's because they're hurt. Because they're hurt, they're rejected, and then they want to fight the other. And so, you know, the typical problem that happens when we don't speak for ourselves is that we start the conversation by insulting the other person and we may insult them straight out or we may believe that we're saying something that's nicer than just an insult. Like, I don't know why you are always so reactive because I was just asking this or that. But it's it's an, an insult to the other person, but it's stated almost like a, question which is rhetorical like I don't know why you're always so reactive which is not a real question it's not saying to the other person I'd like to know what's going on with you it's a rhetorical statement and many of our statements these days in this cancel cancel culture calling out culture it's as though we believe we should begin with somebody's fault and that fault also is stated as though it's objective. Right. And the and the, the goal is to punish. Well, maybe, you know, maybe the person who's speaking it believes that their goal is to tell the truth. And maybe they believe that that truth is so important because it hasn't been spoken. Right. If the beginning of a conflict is very self-righteous and if it also has a rhetorical statement in it, like don't you even care about? So people say, don't you care about the climate crisis? Don't you care about our children? Don't you care about the outcomes from this virus? Don't you care about science? Don't you care about data? Don't you care about racism? Don't you care whether I'm happy? Don't you care about knowing me? All of those imply that the other person is 
really falling short. Like, don't you care about climate change or the climate crisis implies the other person is a climate denier. Uh Don't you care about racism implies the other person is a racist. Don't you care about whether I'm happy implies the other person's a narcissist. All of these ways of beginning that have to do with... They reject and they Don't you care about this? Don't you care about this? They're not sincere questions. They're ways of, you know, basically judging the other person as fundamentally inferior mm-hmm. and what the other person will respond with then is the natural human emotion of humiliation because their status has been lowered what's the response to humiliation rage rage closes up the ears right. it also usually causes shuts down people the body. Yeah. it shuts down and usually causes people to <clears throat> to kind of grow bigger it's like they they go ah, and then they they start to explode and that then begins a cycle of them wanting to humiliate the other person so these things of you know don't you care about this don't you even care about that haven't you thought about this so profound here probably because for a lot of times people don't realize that's what they're doing well, I don't think they, people they don't. know that there's another way to right, approach exactly. the truth. So they, they're, they're confused by, the, by the, the response they get because that's not their intention. Their intention is to somehow show some responsibility to truth. And if you can recognize that truth cannot be your snow globe. Right. It can never be your snow globe. All you know... Truth is your own thing. subjective experience. You need other people to find the truth. It doesn't matter even if it's the truth of enlightenment because enlightenment does not separate you out from other people. Can you say more about that in terms of needing the other? Like in terms of the, the, the truth with the capital T. Well, I mean, the other person may have a very, very different point of view around around truth. I mean, that you might, that's a little confusing for me. Well, first of all, if you recognize that the world out there that you are seeing is subjective, right, right. then what are you seeing? Right. What's the truth of that? Right. So it's In other personal. words, all your yeah. thoughts, yeah. all your feelings and so on are driven by your ego. Right. And so wouldn't you want to find something beyond your ego? Well, yes, but is that only through... Uh, 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 the other person I mean it's, couldn't it be through study or practice or other other ways as but well but those are all subjective uh-huh. they're all cut off from what you could call the unitive factor you can call it the no self you can call it the God factor so you know the thing that brings together what you could call the truth is what is true for all of the beings here, at least all the people here, because not all the beings have language, you know, but what is true for the human being in this world as we experience, you would have to know lots of human beings. You'd right, have to, to realize be that open to. I see what you're saying. Because yes. there isn't anything right. in your own little ego space right, right. that you can know. If you have an enlightenment experience, it breaks open that ego space. And for that period of time, you're unified with however much you're unified with, depending on the level of it. It could be you're unified with the entire universe. You could be unified with some aspect of the universe. But then when you come back, as you always will, into your own subjective space and you're using language and you're remembering what happened to you, then you need to relate it to others to find out what in that is something other than just your fantasy or your delusion. You need to find out. I had this experience when I was out of my body and I looked down at the room and you say, here's what was going on. You tell the people and they say, yes, that was what was going on in the room or no, it wasn't. So that was your fantasy. And so, you know, you have fantasies all the time. They're mental images. So anything or you, make, you you can yeah, you... You have to have others yeah. yeah, I can see also where you, you just allow other people... You allow that difference. You you allow all of that, that variation, diversity to be there without... And you see that you're in your own, again, snow globe. 
and other people are in their snow globe, and so you don't, there's no absolute. So when you start to talk with others and you find, oh, yes, I've had that experience too. Right. As more and more you find others, then you actually do find the truth because then you find out what's universal. What is universal? Like here, what you we share. will all die. We will all die. That is the truth. Yeah, that's that's the universal. Truth. <laughs> right. And so we that's find truthful. we find that out by asking others. Right, right. And you know, when we're very young and we see, say, a pet die, we don't know that everything that's alive will die. We we find out. So here, where we are in this world, we need others in order to find out what is true, because we have these mental images, we have these body sensations. We have the world out there as we see it, but that's not the truth. That is our own subjective experience of it. So we need others, and that's why. Yeah, yes. and that's why yeah. we. Keep, it was a little know, abstract in the beginning, but well, I understand now. Yeah, and yeah. there's no way to follow any kind of path of peace or right. any kind of path right. of love without doing this subjective, you know, speaking. Here's the way I see it. How about you? Recognizing that you need someone else in order to find the truth. You need someone else in order to find anything that transcends your ego. So, you know, it's like we would, I am sure, all love to be able to be witnessed. We would like to be seen and heard and felt as legitimate and valid Everyone wants their own truth to be known. And so these days, a lot of people are speaking out about, you know, here's the truth of my experience. This is the way I have felt oppressed. This is the way I experience my gender. This is the way I experience my identity. What I, I believe everyone wants is to be heard and to be known in that experience. And so that's why they're expressing it. Right. So the most, let's say, effective way of expressing that is to speak for yourself. Don't assume that someone else is going to get it. Assume that you are experiencing something that if you tell it to someone, I have felt it this way, I see it this way, I know it this way, and you also have an interest, how about you? That together you develop that witnessing function. But if you assume that you're speaking to someone that doesn't qualify to be a human being, that is a hater, the, uh, the, the or is, a, is yes, the yes. enemy, is, is a monster. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you speak that way, you create that. Yes. That's what you're creating yes. in the other person. That's right. Because you're going to evoke that humiliation right. rage That's factor right. by insulting the person yeah. right at the beginning. And this, I believe, you know, is the basis of war. Yeah. And that there is no it's, way yeah. that any individual or even group of individuals can come to know another human being in a way that is, you know, just totally accurate. They have to get to know the person. So real dialogue addresses not a communications problem, but a dehumanization problem. Right. So all the way through... When you're speaking for yourself, and then we haven't talked about listening mindfully, but speaking for yourself, you're speaking as a human being, you're subjective, you're limited, you're vulnerable, and you're interested in other human beings who are subjective, limited, vulnerable. You don't assume that you know the truth without checking in with others. You assume instead that you only know a tiny little piece of something, even if you remember it accurately. Right. It is it's a, a little piece. It is a practice. And it's, it at, is, the, it's at the basis of uh, all a, of our, you know, all of our sciences yeah. and all of our arts yeah. are subjective. Yes, yes, And yes. they require discourse. Yeah. They re re require interchange with I mean, I keep thinking as I'm, as I'm listening, Polly, too, again, I keep thinking, you know, what allows us as a human being to have that stabilization in the face of conflict. So that, the, again, I go back to this, the word that keeps coming to me is this willingness, this willingness to engage, this willingness to listen, this willingness to hear, this willingness to allow the other snow globe to be there in relation to your own. I mean, sometimes I think that's that's kind of the heart work, you know, I have to be, 
there has to be a willingness in the heart almost. It's not an intellect. It's not just an intellectual exercise. Well, you know, I mean, basically, I don't think anything's an intellectual exercise, yeah. but I mean, other people do. I just yeah. don't. I think people yeah. are always trying to be yeah. in contact with each other. Yeah. But I, I think when it comes to real dialogue, when it comes to being able to handle uh, differences, right. conflict, right. Um, when it comes to being able to exist with others in a way that's cooperative, right. what happens is that you notice there's no other way to do it except mm-hmm. to keep this modesty. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, it's a practicality. It's, it's like, if you want to proceed by getting people to see and hear and feel you, if you want to proceed in a way that brings about people being able to witness you, then you must begin. There's no other way to do it. You must begin with a subjective. You must begin with modesty. You must begin with being able to say, this is the way I see it. And then understanding that you need the other person in order to find the truth of the thing. You can't find it on your own. Even if you're enlightened in the Himalayas, you have to go back and talk to somebody about that because it could be a delusion. Because your mind's eye has all sorts of mental pictures. You don't know if you've seen into a truth or if you've really been in some sort of hallucinogenic state, you know, or hallucinating state. So we need others. It's it's a practicality. Yeah, when you have a spiritual practice too, I mean, it helps to... To be able to practice, you know, exchanging self for other, kindness, empathy, all of those qualities as well. Being responsible to the other. I mean, those are those are inherent in, in spiritual practices. And they go out the window when people are in conflict. Well, that's... You and see that's that, why yes. the conflict piece of it, when you're in conflict, right. that's when you need the skills. If you want to be kind, right. can you be kind when you're feeling insulted? Right. Can you be kind when you're feeling humiliated? Right. So creating the space, and we did talk a little bit about mindfulness. I mean, mindfulness is the ability to re, you know, retain a concentration, a single right. ported awareness, right. and that's very important. Equanimity, right? The equanimity is like the relaxation right. component. You don't push and pull on your experience. Right. You're right. able to tolerate. So you know, learning the skill of real dialogue, the first skill being speaking for yourself, you can learn the skill without any meditative practice. Uh-huh. You simply have to learn the rules and go back to the rules, and the rules are. These six. You use I statements. Yes. Only I speak, not we, not right. you. You also are able to keep track of your own subjectivity so that when you're reactive, you will take yourself, you'll be aware of your reactivity and you'll take yourself back to the statement of here's the way I see it. This is the way I'm understanding it. Help me understand how you're experiencing it. Your willingness to hear the other person's perspective because from your perspective, you want to understand because you want them to hear and see and feel you. So your investment is really in being witnessed, but you also recognize you have to become a witness. But I would say it's not even out of kindness. It's more out of necessity Uh because you come to a point when you're in conflict that if you don't follow these rules and retain a kind of mindfulness what will happen is that you'll lose everything that you wanted to gain from the communication. So, you know, the mindfulness part of it is the concentration equanimity part. It's the way you handle your awareness. And your awareness then is the awareness of seeing out, seeing in, feeling out, feeling in, hearing out, hearing in, and using those to speak for yourself in a way that retains your human capacities to humanize the other and keeps you away from turning the other person into an object, dehumanizing the other, seeing the other as your enemy, no matter what your feelings are. Because your feelings, you're able to keep track of. Those are your body sensations and these emotions, and they mix together. You step back from using them 
in a way that diminishes the other person's humanity. Mm. So, you know, this speaking for yourself is the beginning of retaining this sense of humanizing yourself, humanizing the other. I'm a person here, I'm a subject, I have particular kinds of memories and experiences. You're a person, you're a subject, you have other kinds of memories and experiences. Nobody has the truth on their own. That's right. And nobody knows their history on their own. Nobody knows a whole bunch of stuff on their own. They have to check it out with others. And, and the willingness to do that, I mean, the willingness to share from that level of, of your own personal truth. But what is your choice otherwise? You know, just to make enemies all the time and fight and, you know, humiliate others, be humiliated. It's, there's not a lot of other choice. It's, for humans, it's either, you know, the food fight of life in which we create enemies again and again. Yeah. Or do this other thing, which is remain humanized recognize that our subjectivity is complex. Yes. There's no world out there. Yeah. We're always we're always creating our own images of what is going on out there in here whatever. When you recognize that deeply, everything becomes more mysterious because then you wonder we can we can share through language that's a tree, but what does that mean? You know, it means something different to each person. It also allows people to start searching for their own kind of skillful means to be able to, you know, embody this, to be present in this way, to find those, to find means. I mean, to, to start out not knowing, but to find ways of knowing. And that leads to, to greater wisdom and greater capacity and greater skill. Well, there's really, I mean, if we're all stuck in our own, Right. egos and our own right. snow globes and we never get out yeah it's it's really very very alienating and ultimately extremely despairing because we're alone yeah. and to get out of that aloneness we have to use these skills yeah. and so this is just the first yeah. skill speaking for yourself yeah. and we're going to talk about doing the next skill listening mindfully in order to retain the third skill, which is remaining curious. Right, so right. all of this, you were, you were talking about the remaining curious part where we're interested in right. the world as it's arising. And in order to do that, we have to do the first two, speaking right. for yourself. Well, speaking for yourself and also mindfully. having the balance between concentration and equanimity. I mean, that's profound in itself right there, to be able to access that well that's mindfulness practice that's mine and that is i guess that's what i mean when i say you know stabilization you know like being able to or you know to be present no matter what's going on to be present and not to and to try to the best of one's ability to do no harm well i mean these are the things that only tools you have are the tools of subjectivity and inquiry. Yeah. If you think you're not doing harm, yeah. that may be your own snow globe. Right, right. You know, you well, have to nice find out. First from, step. <laughs> well, you have to find out from other people. Yeah. You know, have yeah. you harmed them? Is right. this so? This inquiry right. that comes well, the inquiry, from speaking yes. for yourself. Yes, yes. And then listening mindfully. Yes. That's where you find yes. out what self inquiry. What that's are your a... actual effects? on others. Well, it's more than just your self-inquiry because you have to inquire into others. Right. What was the result of right. this? How did it go? Right. Again, this is real dialogue and it's real dialogue wow. in the world and it's real dialogue at home. Right. And, you know, it's it's the only way that you can proceed through conflict without creating dehumanization. Right. right. And right. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm hopeful that more and more people are interested in mindfulness and you can bring about your own ability to work with your awareness by practicing these skills yes. of real dialogue. You don't yes. have to meditate. Right. You know, I right. mean, because you can meditate and it might improve your ability yeah. to use real dialogue. To have, concent- have greater concentration or... Concentration, yeah, equanimity. Yeah. Equanimity, right. But then I know a lot of meditators who have fallen into terrible conflicts, yes. terrible scandals, and so on, yes. because they didn't have the skills of this kind of interaction with others. They, they perhaps gained tremendous you know, mindfulness and equanimity, but then during conflict, they would lose it. 
and just become reactive. So that's what real dialogue is about. Wow, wow. Polly, this is fascinating. <laughs> and it's very encouraging and hopeful. So thank you so very much. I look forward to our being able to talk about, is it the second step, yeah. listening mindfully? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> thank you so much, Polly. Well, this was good. This, this was, was very good. good. Thank you, Eleanor. Thanks so much for listening. And to continue the conversation, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find past episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and CastBox. Enemies from War to Wisdom is recorded and produced by Chris Coltrane.